Today's text is Revelation 8, verses 1 to 5, which is on page 1921 in your pew Bibles. We'll start with our usual reminder from Revelation about the source of this revelation and the importance of listening to it. Then when Revelation 8 begins, we will hear about silence in heaven for about half an hour. We too will be silent, but not for 30 minutes. Let's spend 30 seconds in silent prayer for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When the reading resumes, please keep your eyes closed. Listen and imagine. Imagine the scene that these verses describe. The line, the word of the Lord, will be your cue to open your eyes and to respond. Again, 30 seconds of silent prayer. Then keep your eyes closed when you will hear, as the reading is completed, when you will hear the word of the Lord. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar and he hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The word of the Lord. Thank you once again for that reading of God's word to us, his people. Friends in Jesus Christ, maybe you haven't uh, noticed, but the picture that John gives us of heaven in the book of Revelation is that it's a rather noisy place. 
Not a bad sort of noisy, really, but probably more like, at least in my mind, like the sounds you hear from a school playground. The sounds of little running feet, the sounds of high squeals of of pleasure, that kind of noise. Heaven is filled with voices of praise. Twenty-four elders, the four living creatures, the martyrs before the throne, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, all singing to the Lamb and to the one who sits upon the throne. It's a noisy place with more holy, holy, holies than Devante Adams has receiving yards. Heaven is loud until now. Now there is silence, not a word. And it's not coincidental, it's intentional. And it's willed by the only one who is able to silence heaven. It's willed by God himself. God calls for silence. God turns down the volume. God hits the pause button. Why? To hear the prayers of his saints who are going through the tribulation of this life. an incredible picture. An angel places on the altar of incense all the prayers of the saints and then offers them up to God. It's a picture of Old Testament worship in the temple. It took about a half hour in the temple for the incense to burn. That incense represented the prayers of God's people going up to God. It took about a half hour for that incense to burn. Worshippers could smell their prayers rising before God. For a half hour, God pays full attention to his people. When was the last time somebody paid that kind of attention to you? Not heads veering away to look at the television, not glances down at the cell phone, just... Just eyes focused, intent on hearing you. When was the last time that someone paid that kind of attention to you? When was the last time you prayed? When Jesus walked on the earth, remember what he told his disciples about prayer? He not only told them what to pray, he told them how to pray. He said, you should go in, a, in your room all by yourself, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven. What was he saying there? He was saying, when you pray, go find a place where you can pay attention to God, just like he pays attention to you. That's, that's the first point of our message this morning. God hears our prayers. God listens to us. Here's the second point of of my two-point sermon this morning. God not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. And I saw you laugh at that two-point. He answers our prayers. Look at verse 5 for a moment. Our prayers go up before God like incense. And then what happens? 
The angel takes the censer, fills it with fire from the altar, and he hurls it back to the earth. And there come peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This is the answer. God's answer to our prayers. What is that answer? Well, remember where we've heard this before, the rumblings, the peals of thunder, the lightning, the earthquake. These are the signs of God's presence. These are the signs that God is near. Remember Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, God comes to the mountain, thunder and rumblings and earthquake. These are the signs that God is near. Our prayers go up and God actually hears and he acts. He acts, he responds, he comes. Thunder comes down. Our prayers are like thunder going up to heaven. Reversed thunder. And God responds with the real thing. God hears and he answers. Simple enough, right? Two points. But actually, Ken is right. I'm not done. There's more here to explore. And so each of those points has a sub-point. First one. God hears our prayers, but what do we pray for? What do we pray for? Um, I'd like you to look at this image with me. Um, I used to love these things. What's wrong with this picture? Okay? What's wrong with this picture? I was pretty good at it, I think. Right? The cow's driving a combine. That usually doesn't happen. One of the wheels is an orange. There's a snowman in the field. It's obviously not winter. Right? What's wrong with this picture? Sometimes our prayers are like that. What's wrong with this picture? Think of John's vision for a moment. Okay? All of heaven is focused on God. Focused on the center. God is on his throne. And all the creatures of heaven are giving him worship and praise. The Lamb Himself is there who has given Himself to be slain so that what's going on up in heaven might actually spread and take over here on the earth, right? And the martyrs are there who've given their lives to continue the Lamb's testimony right here on the earth. They're all there. They're all worshiping God. They're all praising Him. In other words, everything in heaven is focused on God. It's focused on His will being done. It's focused on the center. And then God lifts his hand and the whole place falls silent. And God is ready to hear our prayers. And what does he hear? God, if you'd just let me win the lottery, my life would be so much easier. What's wrong with this picture? Does that really fit? Or, or let's say it's the prayer of James and John. Remember, they're walking with Jesus and they said, Teacher, when you come into your glory, let, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left. Does that really fit? Not that Jesus didn't hear it. But did it fit? Or... Has someone not been paying attention to God like he pays attention to us? 
Have we not been paying attention to what God is up to, to what he's doing in this world, to what's important to him? Have we not paid attention to the fact that God has already done for us in Jesus Christ everything that we could ever need? That's the gospel. It's all been done for us. Have we been paying attention? What is it that we're supposed to be praying for? What does the book of Revelation say we ought to be praying for? Well, have you caught sort of the echoes of the Lord's Prayer in this book? What's the first petition of the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be your name. What's going on in heaven? All of heaven is saying, Lord, holy, holy, holy are you. Hallowed be your name. And then we come to chapter 8. And what's going on here? The seventh seal is finally opened. And we expect what when that seal is open? We expect the end, right? We expect the coming of the kingdom. But what does John see? Well, he sees that these, these seals are actually sort of like nesting dolls, like we've said. And, and in the seventh seal, there's actually seven trumpets. He sees seven angels with seven trumpets at the beginning of this text. Now, what sort of images do trumpets bring to mind when you think biblically? What images come to mind? Well, trumpets were used to call God's people to war, right? To assemble the army, it's time for the army of God to go to war. And in, in terms of the last days, that final army, God's army, under the leadership of, of the Lion of Judah, would go to war with all of God's enemies. Trumpets also announced the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament. That year that spelled the end of slavery, the end of debt, a new beginning, a fresh start, newness. Everything was to be made new. Most of all, trumpets were said to one day be sounded and announce the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. We just sang it earlier. The trump shall resound and what? And the Lord shall descend. Trumpets announce the day of the Lord, the day of God's coming, the end of all that is not holy and true and the beginning of something brand new. As Eugene Peterson writes in the book we're studying, he says the images of the trumpets fuse here. A thorough cleansing we see, a mighty conquering, a final coming. Trumpets. What are God's people to pray for? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done right here on earth as it is done in heaven. The text, friends, assumes that the church, that those who bear the seal of God on their foreheads, the text assumes that you and me will be praying the prayer for God's kingdom to come. Do you pray that prayer? Actually, I think you do. You may not even know it, but you do. You know, some of you know my office is way on the west side of this building. It's right next to the, the school parking lot, right? Which is sometimes a playground as well. Kids are out there at recess. You can always tell when the end of the, end of the school day is there. There are shouts and screams outside my window. And there are also games being played. Sometimes the kids play tag. Sometimes I'll even get up and watch the game. I don't have to because I can kind of picture it in my mind's eye what's actually going on. 
And you see one little boy or little girl chasing his or her friend and, and tags them, but the little kid keeps running, right? And the first little girl, the tagger, says, I got you. And the other little kid says, no, you didn't. And then from somewhere deep inside the core of that first child's being, she shouts out, you can't do that. Because what? You're breaking the rules. It's not right. It's not fair. It's not just. You can't do that. You've heard that cry, right? Where does that cry come from? That cry comes from a knowledge of what's going on at the center. And that cry understands that when we're out of sync with the center, I get hurt. And you get hurt. And everyone gets hurt. And so you can't do that. And friends, the therapists among us can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, at an early age, we fear or we feel deep inside us these personal injuries, these personal slights, something that's been done to my own being. But when you get to be a healthy, well-adjusted, well-developed adult, that, that, that personal injury, that sense of personal injury grows, right? It's not just when, when I get hurt but it's when someone else gets hurt. It's not, you can't just do that to me, but you can't do that to anyone. You shouldn't do that to anyone. Our cry expands, right? And it's not just about me, but it's about, it's about everyone. It's about my neighbors, my friends, my family, people around the world. We don't want anyone to ignore what's going on in the center. These are the things, friends, that the church is to pray. We are to pray the prayers that are in tune with what's going on in the center of the universe. And we're supposed to call out any distortions that we see, any irregularities. And we do. Remember Romans chapter 8? What does Paul write there? He says this, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit of God Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. What He's saying there is the Spirit cries out for us. The Spirit cries out what's going on deep, deep, deep in our souls, sometimes so deep that we don't even know that it's there. But it's been placed there by Jesus Christ himself. And the Spirit cries it out. And as the Spirit cries out those prayers, as the Spirit vocalizes those things, you and I begin to vocalize them as well because we're learning. We're learning what to pray and what it means to pray for the kingdom of God to come. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. And we are learning to sync with the Spirit who's in sync with the Lamb, who's in sync with God, who is on the throne at the center of all things. 
What are we to pray? Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. Now, God hears and God answers, but we need a second sub-point, right, to that God answers. What does He say? What does He say? Whew, this is a little tougher. When we pray, Your kingdom come, He answers by bringing His kingdom. <clears throat> he answers by bringing it nearer, which is what you would expect, Right? But what happens as a result? What happens when his kingdom comes near? Well, we've seen, we've seen it the last couple of weeks. Judgments fall. Right? The judgments of the seals. And now we read about the trumpets. And you'll have to read through the rest of the text. We're really looking at chapters 8 and 9 today. But you'll see that the trumpets bring more judgments that fall upon the earth. In other words, our prayers bring judgments. You might not even ask for judgments, but our prayers bring judgments. You see, friends, God has not given us the sword to change the world, has He? He's taught us a totally different way, the way of the Lamb, the way of self-sacrifice. That's what makes the Lamb worthy. He has not given us the sword or power to change the world, but He has given us something. He's given us prayer. And in prayer, there is an incredible power. Prayers for God's kingdom bring judgments upon the world, all that is unholy and all that is not true. But friends, Something that we need to notice here is that with regard to these judgments, and you see it in the first four trumpets in particular, that is that God's judgments do not discriminate. They don't discriminate. They fall upon a third of the earth and a third of the earth's inhabitants. In other words, they do not simply fall on unbelievers. They fall on all of us. All that is not holy and all that is not true. So what's that about? I mean, if we pray and God brings judgments, why would anyone pray? Well, we already said because we have the Holy Spirit within us, the Spirit of Christ. But why would we pray? Well, let's think about that a moment. What, is this, what does this kind of thing look like? Well, let's think back to chapter 6 a moment and the opening of the seals. Remember in one of the seal openings we talked about the famine that hit the Roman world. And we said the reason that that famine came was because farmers were, were so busy trying to supply enough wine for, for all those who were living in luxury in Rome that the price of wheat finally shot up so high that the commoners couldn't afford either wheat or wine. And there was starvation throughout the land okay picture yourself or picture one of those wine bibbers in rome living it up okay going to party after party popping open bottle after bottle of wine with their friends how many of those people do you think are consciously aware that just by celebrating with friends, they might be actually causing the starvation of other people somewhere else in the world. How many people you think were aware of that at the time? 
Some may have been, but, but others probably were not, right? And there's all sorts of reasons for that. I mean, we experience that ourselves, or we know that ourselves, right? I mean, we were taught a number of years ago how, how you know, wearing diamonds on my hands and uh, around my neck, how that might cause bloodshed for someone else in the world. And when I jump in one of my cars in the morning to drive to work, and yes, I have more than one car, one automobile, drive to work or to school or running errands, and I have an idea how much pollution that throws up into the air, and I have some vague idea that, yes, my pollution accumulated with your pollution, it begins to affect other people around the world. And yet, do I really feel responsible for what's going on? Do I know my role in the hurting of others? Maybe, maybe not. But still, let's go back to the wine-bibber in Rome. She goes home from the party that night, and she says her prayers. And she prays for the kingdom of God to come. And it doesn't happen all at once. But over time, it does. The prices of wheat and barley go up and up and up. Finally, the markets crash completely. And the empire implodes on itself. And those who benefited most from the peace of Rome at their parties suddenly have no parties to go to and no wine to celebrate with. But as a result, the markets get reset price of wheat comes back to a normal price, and the commoners can eat again. And the kingdom of God is a little bit nearer. This is one of the reasons that one of my old professors, Dr. David Hallward, uh, he used to tell us in seminary, he used to say it over and over and over again, to pray your kingdom come, that's a dangerous prayer. And he included himself in it, but he said, you know, if you're enjoying life and if life is good, then this may not be a prayer you want to pray. Because if God brings in his kingdom, that kingdom of righteousness will judge all of the unrighteousness. All of it. Everything unrighteous will fall and be cleansed. It's a dangerous prayer, and yet the church is called to pray it. And we do. We do pray it. The Spirit of Christ is calling out from within us. You can't do that. And as we learn that more and more, we pray it more specifically. And when that kingdom of God finally comes, even if it means it takes my wine away or it takes my diamonds away or it takes my SUV away, it means that we praise God. Right? The diamonds, the wine, they're nothing. Nothing compared to the kingdom of God. 
which is what my heart cries out for more than anything. But there's another element to God's answer that we need to think of as well. And that is we have to understand the intent of all the judgments that God sends. We have to understand the intent of those things. And I'll try and get at it this way. Remember, <clears throat> remember the, the martyrs in chapter 6, before God's throne, and they cry out, How long, O Lord, how long? How long till you vindicate us? And the answer comes back, um, perhaps not what we would expect. It comes back, not yet. Not yet. You have to wait a little longer. Be patient. Be patient. What does that answer remind you of? Be patient. It reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter 3, there, Peter is writing to a bunch of people who are basically asking the same question. Jesus said that he would come back. Where is his coming? Why hasn't he returned yet? When is the day of the Lord coming? This whole thing must not be true because Jesus hasn't come back. And what does Peter say? He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient. Why is he patient? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. Everyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Friends, sometimes when we read the book of Revelation, we get a little screwy. We let it make us a little screwy. And what I mean is, we allow it to give us a totally different picture of God than, than we're taught everywhere else in the Bible. Somehow, some way. When we read the book of Revelation, God becomes vengeful, out to get sinners, out to destroy most of the world. I want you to look at uh, another image. Okay? You've probably seen this in the media lately. It's been, it's been out there a lot lately. This happened in Spain. A number of works in Spain, another pieces, number of pieces of art have been, or they've attempted to um, restore them. This, this uh, statue on the left there was actually, I think it's on a bank building. They asked uh, someone to restore it. What happened as a result was what's on the right. It's called, some people have dubbed it, the potato head of Palencia. Right? It, it didn't quite work. And this is sometimes, I think, what we do with our picture of God when we read the book of Revelation. It just, it doesn't look like the God that we've read about anywhere else in Scripture. What do we know about God? We know He's a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of justice. When you read through the judgments that God sends upon the world, what do you think? What do you think about this God? Well, take the time sometime today to read through the judgments that come with the trumpets upon the world. And what you will see is, wow, these, these remind me a lot of the plagues that God sent upon Egypt. 
And then think, well, why did God send his plagues upon Egypt? Was it just to make Pharaoh look like a fool? Was it to punish Pharaoh? Was it to do him some damage? No. He sent the plagues to get Pharaoh to repent. Repent and acknowledge him as the only God. The only center of the universe. What is God pausing all the noise of heaven to hear? What does he want to hear? Well, he's waiting to hear you. Pray for your dad, or your mom, or your son, or your neighbor, or your best friend, or your boss. He's waiting to hear you pray that they will repent. He's waiting to hear the church express its own love for the world after the love of God for his world. And when the church prays, God responds, yes, often with judgments, judgments that express his love for the world and his desire that the world return to him. Let me, let me just try and close with one illustration this morning. Again, this is a, something that came from David Hallwarda. And uh, the story he, he used to tell us every now and then. But he asked the question, he said, you know, why did the Russian communist empire fall? Some of us actually remember uh, the USSR, right? And we remember that it also fell. And, and his answer is that there are all sorts of reasons. There are political reasons, there are economic reasons, there are social reasons, and, and all of those are true. They're all reasons for why that empire fell. But he also had a friend who was a missionary. <clears throat> and uh, his friend, after the walls came down and the nation opened up, his friend actually was an evangelist and went into the USSR and, and did crusades, evangelistic crusades, and all of those sorts of things. And he was incredibly surprised when he did those as to how many people, how many converts actually came to Christ. That it was so easy. It was almost unbelievable. Well, um, he said, or he had to give his take, too, on why the Russian Empire fell. And he said, yes, all those other reasons are true, but what you cannot forget are all the prayers of the babushkas. Now, we think of babushkas as a scarf, right, that an elderly woman might wear. The babushkas were actually the grandmothers in Russia and actually discovered that those scarves that they wear, they wore those in honor to God, right, in obedience to what they read in Scripture, what they believe Scripture says. And the thing about those babushkas is they were basically the only people who were allowed <clears throat> to go to the churches and to worship. 
And for 70 years, they suffered with everyone else in Russia, but they prayed. They prayed that one day their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren would one day be able to go back to the churches and worship and hear the gospel and be saved. And God answered their prayers. But how did the answer come? It was not an easy thing when those walls fell down. There was a lot of suffering. And you know what? That suffering wasn't just for the non-Christians. It was it fell upon the believers, the followers of Jesus as well. The believers also didn't have jobs. They also were starving. But their children were flowing back to the church. God answered the prayers of those babushkas for the kingdom of God to come and for their children to know the God who's at the center once again. You see, friends, our God is a God of love. Even in his judgments, he is a God of love. We'll hear more about that next week. But friends, we pray. God hears. God responds. Don't ever stop praying. Your kingdom come. Kingdom come. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, it's hard for us to imagine that your Father would shut everything down. All of heaven. Just to hear what we are doing now. Thank you for being a God who hears. Thank you for being a God who, who dwells deep within us and utters the prayers that we cannot even utter ourselves. Thank you for a patient God who teaches us slowly to pray your kingdom come and to know what that means. Thank you for being a patient God sometimes says I will answer your prayer but, but not quite yet because more needs to be done thank you for being a God who hears our prayers for our friends our family that they too may know the love of the one at the center Lord may your church always 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 be a praying church May you always, always, always respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.